You go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome. Welcome to Mariners today. If this is your first time with us, we are really, really honored that you chose to worship with us. We have a welcome center that you can get to outside, take a left, you'll see the welcome center. We'd love to meet you in the welcome center. We are in Romans chapter 8. Does anybody remember that we're in Romans chapter 8? We're in Romans 8. And so we're in week four of five. So next week we will, we will wrap up our study in Romans chapter 8. Some have said Romans 8 is one of the most significant chapters in the Bible for you to know, which is good news because today we're going to see how this passage applies to us in the middle of suffering, which is good news because if we're going to have a passage in the Bible that is supposed to be one of the passages that means the most to me, I want to be sure that it addresses some of the real issues in our life. And one of those would be suffering as we all face suffering. So verse 18, we finished uh, verse 17 last week. Verse 18, the scripture says, and the apostle Paul wrote this to real Christians that live in the city of Rome. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In, In the original language, that phrase, I consider, it actually means I calculate. The Apostle Paul says, I've calculated, I've looked at life and suffering is real in this life, but I've done the math, I've done the homework, I've thought about this, and our future glory weighs so much more than our present suffering. So we have present sufferings and they are real, but the weight of our future glory is so much more that our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing to our future glory. And so he wrote this to people who lived in Rome and they immediately would have thought of something like this because in the Roman culture, you use scales to weigh things. And Paul is saying, listen, I know you have current sufferings and they are real and they are are painful. You got a bad doctor's prognosis. The, The cancer, it is real and it is current suffering. The divorce and the relational trauma, it is real. The job struggle is real and it weighs a lot. Living in a fallen and broken world is real. The worry that you face, the anxiety that is plaguing your life is real. The wayward child that is just, you can't go to sleep at night because you're constantly praying, that is real. The struggle that you have with sin is real. The guilt that you sometimes feel is real. That is real suffering. He says, but I've done the homework. I've done the math. And the present sufferings, although they weigh a lot in this fallen and broken world, he says, I've calculated it and it's not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That a future day is coming and the future, your future glory weighs way much more than the present sufferings that we go through that our future glory is so intense and so phenomenal that it's not even worth comparing, he says. Now, James, yes, you can clap for that. It's good news. Now, James Boyce was a Presbyterian pastor who died several years ago, and, and he says this about this passage. He said that our future glory weighs more than our current suffering in, in two ways. One, in duration it lasts longer. And second, in intensity, the intensity of our future weighs more than the intensity of our pain. And so 
James Boyce says that the Apostle Paul is saying, when you're going through the intensity of your suffering, just look to the immensity of your future. Because the intensity of your suffering only points to the great glory, the immensity of what is coming, because what is coming is so glorious. We often calculate things in life based on those two things. Duration, is it worth it? Is the time worth it? And intensity. For example, when you go to Disney World and you see that there's no more fast passes for cars, and you stand outside of a line and the sign says 45 minutes or 60 minutes, you have to calculate, is the three-minute ride worth the 60-minute wait? And we often conclude that it is. But when it comes to suffering, the Apostle Paul says, actually, the opposite is true. Your future is much longer than the current suffering. We often evaluate also in terms of the pleasure, the intensity of the pleasure or the intensity of the pain. For example, my daughter, Evie, she loves, she loves dessert. She loves dessert. And we tell her, baby, listen, if you're going to have dessert, you have to eat your vegetables. And we let her choose. You calculate this. You consider this. If you're going to get the cake, you have to suffer through the green beans. And if you don't want to suffer through the green beans, then you don't get the cake. It's, it's up to you. But if you're going to get the cake, you have to suffer through the green beans. And so she has to calculate this. And oftentimes she calculates it and she concludes that the suffering is worth the glory of the cake. <laughs> and when we do this, we, we remind her, listen, you can get through the green beans. You can get through this. Just look to your future. So here's a picture of us doing that. We just say, baby, listen. <laughs> You can keep eating. Three more bites. Three more bites. Just keep your eyes on what's coming. Keep your eyes on the glory that is about to be revealed to you. And this is what the Apostle Paul is essentially saying. He's not minimizing your suffering. He's not minimizing our suffering and our pain. He's just saying, as weighty as it is, your future even weighs more. As intense as your suffering is, your future is more intense. As real as your suffering is, your future is that much more glorious. Now, if someone's writing you about suffering, you want to be sure this is not an armchair quarterback sufferer. You know armchair quarterbacks? The guys who sit on the couch with Cheeto-stained fingers and two liters of Diet Coke and think they can quarterback better than the guy in the field who tell him what he should do even though they couldn't do what they think he should do. We don't like armchair quarterbacks. Armchair quarterbacks are bad. Armchair kickers are worse. They're the worst. A couple of months ago, we saw armchair kickers in full force as the Chicago Bears played the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs and the Eagles beat the Bears. The Bears had a chance to win the game. They had a 43-yard field goal attempt. If it goes, they win, but the kick is partially blocked. The Bear fans were livid at their kicker who missed the field goal. They roasted him on social media and in news interviews. I mean, they destroyed the guy. So a Chicago sports bar decided to find out if the armchair kick could do any better. So they put together a 43-yard field goal competition, the same distance. Of course, it's different, right? There's not 11 really large men trying to kill you as you kick the field goal. 
and there's not 80,000 people surrounding you watching the game happen. But still, nonetheless, a 43-yard field goal attempt, see if you armchair kickers can actually make it. A hundred tried, not one came even close to connecting. In fact, here's a video montage of the best ones. Watch this one. This is it's a little painful. This one's a little painful. Eagles got food like Bears fans. Nobody, nobody can connect. And so when it comes to suffering, you don't want someone writing you about suffering who hasn't suffered. The Apostle Paul, the one who said, listen, I've, I've done the math. I've calculated current sufferings. They're real. They're not worth comparing to the glory. Listen to him recount his sufferings. 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul writes, five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. This guy suffered. This guy is who said, our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. He essentially says, if you want to get through your current suffering, you look to your future glory. To get through the pain of today, you look to the pleasure of tomorrow. To get through your current struggle, you look to the glorious Savior who's going to come here one day and make everything right and new. That's what he's writing. That's verse 18. Now verse 19 through 27 in Romans 8, he describes what our future glory is. And I want us to read verse 19 through 27, and I want you to read it quietly and still right where you are. I'm going to pray and ask God to open your mind and your eyes and your heart as you read this. And so if you came in, if you have a Bible, Romans 8, verse 19, you'll start reading through 27. If you didn't have a Bible with you, the verses are on, in the bulletin when you came in. If you're staring at me like, bro, I'm too lazy to even grab my bulletin, then we're going to have the verses on the screen. If, 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 if things are that bad for you today, that you literally can't even reach into your bulletin to take out God's word, because you're so lazy, we're going to put it on the screen for you. <laughs> Jesus, forgive me for being mean, and please use your word as we study it this morning to change our hearts. So take your scripture, God, and apply it to us right where we are. In your name I pray. Amen. So quietly now, you read verse 19 through 27.
So the Apostle Paul says, present sufferings, future glory, there's three things I want you to see that happens as you move, and we're going to, those of us who are believers, we're all going to move from present suffering to future glory. And this move is going to mean three things. Number one, it's going to mean from groans to glory. In the passage you just read, you saw groans three times. You saw that we groan, you saw creation groans, and you saw that the spirit within us groans. There's a lot of groaning in the verses you just read. And all of the groaning is a longing for things to be made right, for things to be made new, for things to be perfect again. There's a groaning, hunger pains in us, longing for God to come here and fix this broken place and make things right and make things perfect and make things new. Groaning is a good word to describe the human experience. When Kay and I struggled with infertility for years, groaning best described that process. I would go to sleep at night praying, begging God, God, please intervene. Please make it to where we can have kids. Lord, please intervene. I'd wake up in the middle of the night still groaning, groaning with, for God to fix things. When Kay's father passed away several years ago, and she was the only sibling who couldn't get there in time, and she was plagued with regret and guilt because she couldn't tell him goodbye. There was a year of groaning as she was restless going to sleep at night, groaning for one more conversation, longing for one more opportunity to tell him I love you and to tell him goodbye, groaning. As a leader, when I've had to make difficult decisions, there's been days of groaning. I, rem I remember one time several years ago when I was in the corporate world and I had to make a major decision for a reorg, which would mean hundreds of people's lives being impacted. I slept on the couch for, for three weeks because I was tossing and turning so much at night. There was groaning, there was groaning. When we hear of injustices in the world, those of us who are believers, our hearts break and we groan. Just on Thursday, this last week, I sat, I sat right there and all of our global partners were in this room. We were sitting just in the first couple of rows. And our partners from the Congo, we watched a video and it showed some of the injustices and the pain that people in the Congo are facing and there was just groaning. I absolutely lost control and just wept watching the injustices in our world and there is groaning, God, fix this place, come fix this. Romans 8 is groaning, creation is groaning for the day when Jesus returns and makes everything right. We groan, the spirit within us groans. On Sundays often there's groaning that takes place in our elder prayer room. And I've prayed with many of you and those are prayers of groaning that some of you have carried struggles for years and have met in that room to pray and people gather around you and there's groaning, God, make things right. Some of you have walked in there for healing because of a doctor's prognosis and there's groaning, Jesus, fix it. Groaning is all in Romans 8. But our groaning, according to the verses you just read, 
are different for believers, for people who are Christian than those who are not Christian. According to the Apostle Paul, we groan with hope. Did you see that in the verses you read? Did you see the word hope? That our groaning is groaning with, with hope. Did you notice that the verse says our groaning is like childbirth pains? And so groaning in the maternity ward is groaning for hope because on the other side of the pain is new life. It's a good illustration that the Apostle Paul uses. On the other side of the childbirth pains is hope and new life. I've brought my wife to the hospital multiple times, once where she had surgery and it was painful and there was groaning. And that was different groaning than when we were in the hospital when she gave birth to our daughters. Both were groaning, but one of the groaning was filled with hope and excitement for new life. The groaning in the maternity ward is different than the groaning in the oncology ward. And the Apostle Paul says here that our groaning as believers is groaning in the maternity ward. Do you get it? It's groaning because we know what's coming. It's groaning because, yes, the pain of the groans is real, but the future glory is in front of us. Now, some of you groaned a lot more than Kay did when she gave birth to our daughters because right when we got to the hospital, she says, I'd like the epidural now. <laughs> and the nurse was like, we, we typically don't give it out um, this early in the process. And Kay says, I'll sign any waiver release form you need me to sign. I want a double shot now, <laughs> now. But there was still groaning. And the groaning that we face as believers is compared to the groaning of childbirth because we know what is coming. And so we groan with hope. And we groan because we long for glory. We're gonna move from groans to glory. All of us long for glory. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, in fact, this is one of the evidences for God that there's a longing in all of us, Christian or non-Christian, for glory, for beauty. And if you're here and you're not yet a believer, we love that you're here. And we live in a great place where we see our longing for beauty. It's the reason we love to go to Inspiration Point and CDM and see the sunset or Laguna Beach and see the sunset. It's a reason that us mountain bikers go to the top of a hill and stop for a moment and don't even talk to each other because we're just looking around and taking in the beauty. It's a reason in art galleries, there's benches. So you don't rush through the art gallery, but you stop and you sit and you savor the beauty of the art. We're created. God created us with a longing for glory because he created us with a longing for himself. It's a reason that pilots, when they fly over islands, will slow down a bit and tip the wings to the right and say, if you're on the right side of the plane, look out and you'll notice these islands, we long for glory. And while views are great here in Orange County, they're nothing compared to the future glory we're gonna have. Because the scripture says that when Christ returns, we are going to see a glory that we have never seen before. We're going to move from groans to glory. And the glory, verse 18, is going to be revealed to us. But you also read, and this is fascinating, that you are going to be revealed to creation as glorious. So glory is going to be revealed to you, but you're going to be revealed as glorious. What does this mean? This is really good news. 
When Christ returns and he makes everything new, the adopted children of God are going to be revealed as glorious. Now, if you, you were here last week, we looked at the fact that God adopts us. He makes us his sons and daughters. We're adopted. And yet this week, the verse says that we're going to be revealed as the children of God. So you may be wondering if you're reading, am I currently a child of God or will I be a child of God? Which one is it? Well, this is what the scripture's teaching. In the Roman culture, when you were adopted, you were adopted and you were the heir and the son of this person who adopted you. But there was a public ceremony after the adoption where everyone got to see who you were. And the scripture is teaching that when Christ comes the second time, now understand, Jesus came the first time 2,000 years ago, and he came to suffer and die for us. So he identifies with us in our suffering, and we're only a Christian because of his suffering for us on the cross. That was the first time he came. But when he returns, he's coming not to suffer, but he's coming, coming back as the conquering king to rule and reign over everything. And he's going to make everything right and new. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye, and he's going to make everything as it should be. Yes, that's the day that's coming. And you are going to be revealed. It's going to be the public revealing of you as his son or as his daughter. And you're going to be revealed as glorious, which this is what this means. There is going to be no more sin in you, no more nor struggle in you. You are going to be revealed as the perfect sons and daughters of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 describes this as well. One of Jesus' disciples, John, writes, Dear friends, we are God's children now. So yes, you are God's children now if you're a Christian. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But that time's coming. We know that when he appears, so when Christ appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. One of the reasons I love this weekend, Outreach Weekend, is not only are you going to be gathered together with him and be the glorious son or daughter of God, but people from every single tribe, tongue, and nation are going to be gathered together with him. And so this is a foretaste. This weekend's a foretaste. It's an appetizer of the everlasting kingdom when we're gathered together with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. A good day is coming for us. The future glory weighs much more than our current sufferings. All right, so that's number one. We're going to move from groans to glory. Here's number two. We're going to move from futility to freedom. Notice in the verse that you read a moment ago that this world has been subjected to futility. And what does that mean? And who subjected this world to futility? Well, if you read the very beginning of the Bible, the first three chapters in Genesis, you find the answer. God created this world and everything was right and everything was perfect. Everything was as it should be. But then humanity, we decided to disobey God. And when we disobeyed God, God judged this world and subjected it to futility. Now, now you may say, well, wait, wait a second, was God overreacting? Why did God subject this world to futility? He wasn't overreacting because God is holy. Sin must be judged. And he subjected this world to futility. So we live in a world filled with futility. 
the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, he tried to find out what this world was all about. And he concluded it's futile. It's meaningless. This world, apart from a relationship with God, is meaningless. Solomon was a man with tons of money, with tons of influence, tons of affluence. He would have done really well in Orange County. He had everything going for him. And he concluded all of these things, apart from a relationship with God, they're futile. This world is futile. He said, I've acquired these things, but they haven't satisfied me. All of the things I've acquired, they don't satisfy my eye and they don't satisfy my ear. It, they're futile. He said that all of my accomplishments, and I've accomplished a whole lot of things, he said, they don't satisfy me because one generation later, someone's going to change my accomplishment or it's going to be irrelevant. It doesn't satisfy. Last week at Youth night, our high school students heard Nick Foles, and it was a great night. Parents, youth night is awesome. I want to encourage you to get your high schooler there. But we heard Nick Foles. I was there last Sunday night, and he said that as I hoisted the Super Bowl trophy, it doesn't matter near as much as my relationship with Christ matters. This, apart from Jesus, Nick Foles said, is futile. And he's right. The world is subjected to futility. This is what... Solomon says. He also said, if I live for a legacy, if I live for my name to carry on through generation, it's futile because one generation later, people don't know who you are. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless because this world isn't perfect. It's been subjected to futility. So it makes you want to ask the question, do you really want to live forever in a world that is futile? There's a lot of talk on extending life and drinking from the fountain of youth and living forever in this world. Scientists are constantly trying to figure out how to help us live forever here. But do we really want to live forever in a world that is broken? Artists have asked that question for years and they have concluded their instinct is right that this world isn't the place you want to live forever. One of the most popular kids' books of all time is called Tuck Everlasting. It's about the Tuck family, and they drink from, neither of these books are Christian books. This is um, our, our secular world pontificating on, do we really want to live forever here? Tuck Everlasting, the Tuck family drinks from the fountain of youth, and you would think that they would love life if you can live forever but it's miserable because instead of it uniting them, they are divided and they only see each other once every 10 years and they're separated from love. When you read this, you conclude everlasting life isn't meant to be lived in a broken world. One of the most popular novels that came out last year is called Eternal Life. And Dara Horn writes this fictional story about a character named Rachel who has lived for the last 2,000 years. She can't die. And you wonder, would that be great? The instinct of this book is know that Rachel wants to die because she's tired of the grief of this world. She's mourned dozens of husbands who have passed over the last 2,000 years and hundreds of children who have passed over the last 2,000 years. Eternal life isn't meant to be lived in a broken and fallen world. But there's good news. When Jesus returns... This world is no longer subjected to futility. 
Everything is returned to how it was when sin wasn't here. Everything is perfect. Everything is right. And we're going to be able to enjoy a world in its fullness, the world that God created. And this is really good news because we won't struggle with sin. We won't struggle with making creation our idol, our little G God. We'll actually be able to enjoy the fullness of God's perfection without making it our idol. Everything will be perfect. Everything will be right. This is our future glory. This is where we are headed. I'm glad that seven of you like that, but the rest of you, (laughs) the rest of you don't really like that yet. I'm about to sneeze. I am so broken. I'm trying to look at a light. No, if you look at a light, it helps you sneeze. I can't get this sneeze out. For the whole last point, I preached through a looming sneeze. (sighs) One day we're going to be rescued from the brokenness of sneezing. All right. Number three. He's going to move us from decay to deliverance. Decay to deliverance. Our bodies are decaying. Not only do we not want to live eternal life in a world that's not perfect, we don't want to live eternal life in bodies that are not perfect. And our bodies are decaying. We can't enjoy creation as we would if our bodies were perfect. I watched Duke basketball a couple nights ago when Zion Williamson, the best college basketball player, did this massive dunk where his head is almost hitting the rim. And I'm like, that would be so fun to do that. I can't do it. But a day is coming when I will be able to do that. You, you can enjoy things so much more when you, can, you aren't limited by your body. The older I get, the more my body decays. I used to enjoy playing basketball with staff much more than I enjoy it now because I'm not as good as I used to be. Things aren't as enjoyable as your body decays. My hair, my hair is decaying as well. I've got a ring of a bald spot in the back. And some of you have noticed we've actually had three people from our church send hair product to my office. Um, And listen, I know it comes from a good place. I'm grateful that you care. I'm grateful that you care. I just want you to know, after I got married, after I got this ring, I stopped worrying as much about this ring, this ring. So there there you go. There you go. But the reality is our, our bodies are decaying. Our bodies are decaying. I used to do these, uh, these beach body videos on demand and Tony Horton who does P90. Why are you laughing? Because you're like, no, you haven't. <laughs> uh, Tony Horton was my, <laughs> Joe, why are you laughing so hard right now, dude? Uh, it's wrong. Uh, Tony Horton, who did P90X, was my, was my favorite because he, he would talk smack and kind of humiliate you into working out. And I used to love watching the videos with Tony Horton. And I know some of you care a lot about your bodies, and we should. We have one body that we live in this life. Just, just it's the only body we have. We should steward it well. But I would watch Tony Horton, and when he got to P90X3, which was the last P90X, he, he started saying things like, aging is for idiots. And... Um, Uh, Getting older is for people who don't know better. And it would kind of motivate me a bit. But the reality is, I mean, Tony Horton, he looks great now for 60. He does. I hope I look as good as he does when I'm 60. But when he's 90, he's not going to be doing P90X. That's not what the 90 stands for. The The reality is our bodies decay. They decay. But a day is coming in Romans 8 
where not only is he gonna make this world perfect, but your body is going to be new and everlasting and perfect. Your current sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. When Christ returns, we are gonna have a world that doesn't have sin and doesn't have struggles and doesn't have bondage to decay in our bodies, but everything is right and everything is new and everything is perfect. To get through your current suffering, you look to your future glory. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching. Now, you may wonder, okay, so if I look so much towards the future world, does it make me care less about this world? Actually, the opposite is true. When you understand that our God is pursuing for himself people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, that doesn't cause you just to shrug at that reality. That causes you to say, I wanna join Jesus on his great mission to reconcile people for himself from every language. When you understand God's global mission, it doesn't cause you to not wanna be a part. It causes you to wanna join in what the future glory looks like. When you understand that God is a God of justice and one day he's going to right every wrong and he's going to reverse the curse and he's going to make every injustice right. When you understand that he's going to do that one day, it doesn't cause you to shrug at the poverty in the world and the marginalization in the world and the oppression in the world. It causes you to want to join God in his grand mission of reconciling things and people to himself and bringing peace and prosperity to the world. When you understand the future, it motivates you for the current day. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it this way, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most, who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. See, when you look not at your present sufferings, but when you look to your future glory, you want to join God in what he's doing around the world. You want to give to what he's doing around the world. You want to serve and you want to pray and you want to be part of his global plan to reconcile people and to make all things new. I want you to watch this video and see a glimpse of what some of our global partners are doing around the world. Take a look at this. Church, I'm Esther Toto from Africa New Day and Jour Nouveau, and you are here in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Goma at Jour Nouveau Africa New Day. 
My name is Turi Nunez here at Comunidad Cristiana El Niño in Tijuana, Mexico. Hi, my name is Pastor Samuel. I'm serving in Haiti and I'm here in Mayonnaise. I'm happy to be here and at Mayonnaise Church to serve with you this weekend. This country, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, has been known for a country rich in mineral resources and all kinds of uh, riches under the ground and above the ground. Tijuana and Mexico are known to be a relational country in a relational city. And so we accept everybody that comes no matter where they're coming from. My country in Haiti is well known as uh, the best country with the beautiful beaches and uh, with good water and you can refresh yourself all the time. I think the most precious resource that we have in the Democratic Republic of Congo is its people. We have wonderful people who are just looking for an opportunity that Mariners Church has given them. So through education, we've been trying to raise a new generation of leaders that will be focused on knowing that God has created them for a purpose and they are the solution to all the problems that they see around them. Our vision for our church is to be able to prepare God's people for serving in their community and transforming the world. The way that Mariners have supported us through the years have been with home builds, child sponsorship, and just community outreach that has allowed us to serve our community in a better way. After the earthquake hit Haiti, I feel that God put in my heart to go back. And that's why I met a group from Mariners Church while we were serving together. I received my call from God to stay there, minister there, and I got in kids that they were orphans looking for a way of living. With Mariner's Church, we help them. They have a home. They, they go to school. They have a good education. And now they have dream. They have hope. My hope is that you can love your community the same way we love ours. Mariner's Church, you have invested so much in us. You have believed in us when we didn't believe about ourselves. And my prayer for you today is that the same love and care that you have shown from people so far away, that you will have it for, the own, for your own people in your backyard of Orange County. I hope that you have the same passion, the same desire to help your country locally to go and serve so people will know the love of Jesus. Come on. Don't we just love our global church partners? Don't we love them? I love that you and I get to be a part of a church that has been involved in serving, that has a legacy of serving the world locally and globally for the last 30 years. And here's what I know about you is that you want your hearts to be changed and you want to change the world. And so at Outreach Weekend, we uniquely kind of just hone in on these truths. And here's what, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this, this year. I want you to take your bulletin out, these two things out of your bulletin. I'm going to give you ways in which we're going to engage our local and global world. We're going to pray, we're going to serve, and we're going to give. We're going to do what? We're going to pray serve, and we're going to give. So let's start with prayer. I want you guys, everybody, to take out this card. Each and every one of you has been given one, 
and it has one of our global church partners. And you see, we can learn a lot from our global church partners, especially when it comes to prayer. You see, they pray bold prayers. People who have come from the persecuted and most difficult places have been praying bold prayers. Prayers like when they're going through hard times, they say that, God, we're not asking that you may move our challenges or that you may take away our problems. We're praying that you may give us stronger backs so that we can be able to bear the burden. Bold prayers. Don't you want to pray such prayers? And so I'm going to ask you to join us as we pray for them. And some of you are skeptical and saying, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. But you see, if you want God to change your heart, if you want God to do something new in your heart, I ask you, I dare you to take this and pray this week, this year, this month, and see what God does in your heart. And as you heard, we have many of our global church partners in town, and some of them are up here on stage. And here's what I want them to do. I want them to pray for you. We have Mama Esther from Congo. She's going to pray a blessing upon you. We have Pastor Samuel from Haiti. He's going to pray for you in his language. We have Dr. Martin and his wife Rosette. They're going to pray for Uganda, and we're going to join them as we learn how to pray. Good morning, church. We stand here to represent the thousands of lives, men, women, and children, that because you cared, because you pray, because you give, because you serve in this church, we've been changed. We've been transformed. Millions are having hope for a better future because of you. So let me bless you. I pray that God will bless you and keep you. I pray that he makes his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. I pray that the rain will fall on your land and your hands will be blessed. Your work will be blessed. Your coming and your going will be blessed by God. I pray that your children who have gone away will come back fearing God and serving him. I pray that this church... In this new season, whenever you will raise your hand in this place to ask something for God to build his kingdom, it will be granted to you. God bless you. Amen. I'm so glad to be part of this family. Thank you, my inner church, to, for your support and for having us. Be our brothers and sisters. I'm going to bless you with a prayer of blessing in my language. Seigneur, merci pour ton amour, merci pour grâce infinie. Merci parce que c'est bon Dieu, ou c'est bon Dieu qui crée l'univers, ou c'est bon Dieu qui t'a fait nous et qui est avec nous. Permettre que le Saint-Esprit soit capable de couvrir chaque monde qui est là et capable d'aider ou de comprendre ou de rester là, ou de rester dans la présence, non seulement pour aujourd'hui, mais pour tout le temps. Et que la gloire soit capable de manifester dans la caille, la caille famille, la caille petite, et que comme ça, Seigneur, soit capable de un sujet de gloire pour tout ailleurs, côté au passé. Nous prions que bénédiction soit capable de couvrir, non seulement pour aujourd'hui, mais pour tout le temps et pour toute l'éternité. Amen. 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 Jesus' disciples watched him pray and came to him and said, Father, Master, teach us how to pray. I'd like us to just bow our heads and pray for Uganda. Let's pray together. You can pray after me and just say these words and use your own language as well. Father, we thank you for Uganda. 
We thank you because you're already on mission in that country. We thank you, Lord, because 2,000 years ago you shed blood and said it is finished. And you released us from the bondage of our sin, guilt, and shame. Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for the pastors serving you in Uganda, preaching the gospel, planting churches. We thank you for sponsorship, enabling children to go to school. We thank you for Africa Renewal University. We thank you for every initiative, for every mission, for every missionary, for every prayer that has been said that your work may proceed in this country. Our people seated in darkness have seen a great light. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Thank you for doctors reaching out to proclaim the gospel through health care. Thank you for teachers serving you, O oh God. Thank you for friends and partners coming alongside us in this work of the gospel. Thank you for Mariner's Church. Thank you for every brother and sister in the world serving another brother and sister in another part of the world. And so I pray for you. May the grace to pray be yours. May the joy of prayer be your experience too. May the knowledge of the Holy Spirit giving you courage, giving you hope, teaching you how to pray. May you be able to hear his voice saying, son, daughter, I hear you. Let's do this together. So may the grace of God be with you. May the peace of God be with you. May courage to hold hands and say, let us pray be yours. May grace to stay in the minute, in the moments of prayer be yours. For God answers prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Can we thank God for our global church partners? So, the first thing, we want to continue praying for them. So you can write your name at the bottom. And then when we pass the buckets, I want you to drop that. The second thing is we're going to serve. Everybody say serve. And you see, as we serve, we're reminded that Jesus came into the world as a servant. And we get to go and serve others. Mother Teresa said this. She said that every day, Jesus shows up in our lives cleverly disguised as the poor. And we, if you want to know or see Jesus, then we need to go out there and serve. Our high school students are doing an amazing thing where they're going to serve in Mexico with Pastor Turi that you met. So they are leading us in that. Don't we want to be like them? So we've got four ways in which you can, go, you can serve. Look at them. They're there. Resource center where you can process donations, outreach experience. This is an important simulation where you get to see how people in the margins live on a daily basis. And then it informs you on how and why we need to engage and to uh, close up the gap. We know that disasters will happen, so we have partnered with a great organization to create crisis supplies that they'll be used when in crisis. And of course, the Lighthouse Community Centers, where we've been involved for many years, we are called to serve. And I invite you to sign up at the bottom, and you're going to get information about that. But we are called to serve. And finally, I want you to take this out. This is to give. This is about your heart. You see, your heart follows your money. And God reminds us that he provides for us through our giving. And so I'm going to invite you to give. And as we give, today we're going to give over and above. Everything that we take in the buckets, it's over and above. We give our regular giving in the back. But what we put in this and what we put in the buckets, it's over and above. 100% of it goes out. And it's leveraged by thousands of volunteers. But you see... It's 100% participation. We all get to play. Today, 
I'll challenge you, Mariners Church. What is it that you can give personally that will make a difference for you, but then will help us collectively make a big difference in the world? And here's how I know that we can do that. If we all give $50, it will make a difference in you because you're going to feel it. You're gonna, it's going to pinch. But together, we'll be able to make a big difference in the world. And you see, we have enough projects to go over a million dollars plus. We have vetted over a million dollars worth of projects. And so I want you guys to go crazy in giving. I want you guys to go crazy. For some of you, you can just move the decimal a little bit more to the right. You can give 50, then you go to 500, 50,000. Maybe a couple of you could even give millions. There's enough vision for the money. For some of you, it might be difficult to do that. So you might need to move the, the, the decimal the other side and give five or give five cents. The goal is 100% participation. So here is how you give. There are four ways in which you can do that. The first one is text to give. This is a fun technology where you can text the word OR weekend to 7977 and it will take you to a giving link. The second one is you can give online. And then the third one, um, you can give the buckets that are going to come around. But I'd like you to go outside there and give on the iPads where you can just give somebody and tell them to move the decimal right or left. But this will make a difference in the world. So at this particular moment, we're going to respond by singing. Would you consider how God would want to have you pray, give, and serve? Don't, you don't need to move. There's no rush. And as God does that, I promise you it will change the world. Because at the end of the day, you may ask, what happens to me? But what if we asked, what happens to them if I don't? So would you take a moment to consider that even as we respond in worship? And Eric will come and close us at the end.
has come I fix my eyes on Christ alone My rock, my shield, my cornerstone We say He is so, so good. And he's good to you, even in the midst of pain and struggles that you are going through. If you're here and there's a groaning in you, we want to groan alongside you. We want to pray with you. We have a team of people to my left, your right, right over here by those lights that want to pray with you, our prayer team. And so just stop by there after the service and we'd love to pray with you. Or if you want prayer for healing, we have an elder prayer room and our elders will pray with you for physical healing or emotional healing and to get to the elder prayer room through the doors in the back. Take a right. Next week, we are going to wrap up Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at this passage that describes how amazing his love is. We're going to end the series next week by taking communion together. And so I want to invite you to come ready to take communion next week. Let's extend our hands and receive God's blessing as we go. Jesus, these are your sons and daughters. You have suffered for them. And as they suffer, you suffer with them. Lord, I pray this new week you would remind them of their future glory, that when the struggles of this life and the pain of living in a world that's been subjected to futility drags at them, please, this new week, remind them of their future glory and that you're with them. I pray that your presence would be felt in very tangible and real ways this new week. It's in your name I pray, amen. Have a great week.